Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 6. We're going to, if you see the picture up on the screen, um, yeah, you see those four horses there? White, black, red, and pale, kind of a pale color. And we're going to uh, do a one and out sort of ser- series uh, message here today called the four horses of the apocalypse who have actually four riders on them. I just feel like that there's so many things that are going on in the world today, uh, right now that we need to get a, pers- a, a, a scriptural perspective on it uh, so that we're not just thinking that things are just happening and that's just kind of the way things are going and it's just kind of a season and it's, uh, it's going to pass and things are going to get better and, and it's going to get back to normal. Folks, it's not going to get back to normal. It's not. It, we're, we're headed in a direction based on what Scripture said would happen that was written thousands of years ago that is happening right here. We are in the generation, I believe the terminal generation, before the return of the Lord. We are it. This is right before Jesus comes back. And so we're seeing these things unfold before us on a daily basis, right before our eyes. And I believe that Jesus is putting us on notice, putting our spirits on notice. Those who have eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to to realize what's going on, A, a, a discernment in our hearts to realize what's going on. Jesus is getting ready to return. And so I want us to look at these four horsemen of the apocalypse, which is very commonly, we know that as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They're found in Revelation chapter 6. A few years ago, I did a series on Revelation and was talking about these four horsemen then. I just want to pull it out today because I believe that they're being unleashed uh, right now. Uh, There's some rumblings of what's going on with these four horsemen in the world today. And they're soon, I believe, going to be released uh, in its full uh, in its full realization soon in the beginnings of the tribulation. And uh, 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 if you can kind of picture, I know this just this past, I don't know, was it yesterday, the day before, there was uh, the uh, Kentucky Derby, right? So that every year they have and all these horses just are, they're trained to be released from the gate and to run and to do what they've been trained to do. And I just picture these horses kind of in that same way. They're, they're in the stalls or in the gate and the bell's about ready to sound, and those gates are about ready to fly open, and it's getting ready to happen, folks. Trust me, and just as you'll see what I'm going to be sharing with you this morning, I think it's going to be very eye-opening for you. Um, I just want us to be aware today of the schemes of the enemy and and, and, and in the scheme of things prophetically so that we can live our lives, number one, wisely, and number two, keeping eternity always in the forefront of our minds. And what I mean by that is not just, yeah, Jesus is coming back one day, but that we make decisions in our lives, everything that we do, big and small, with eternity in mind. I, I almost like to put it this way, is that if what you're saying and what you're doing at that moment, would you be all right with saying or doing that, knowing that Jesus would return right at that moment? That's very sobering for me when you think about it. And I want you to think about that in that way. So as you're going through this week and as you're making decisions, as you're having conversations that are not pleasing to the Lord, if you're engaging in habits and lifestyles that is not pleasing to the Lord, would you be all right at that moment as you're doing whatever you're doing that Jesus would return? Yeah, that's tough to think about, and that's a good way to think about it, because it will, it will scare you straight, it will sober you to make sure that you do and say the things that are pleasing to the Lord, because we need to live our lives in such a way as, as if Jesus would be returning at any moment. 
and that'll help us. By the way, this is not today a message about how awful and sinful people are today. People are not our enemies, okay? Satan is our enemy. Just get that straight, okay? Uh, it's very easy for us to look at people, and I've actually seen this happen before. I talked with someone not too long ago who called a person an it, and I had to stop them and say, now wait a minute, that person is not an it, that person is a person who Jesus died for. And we can easily objectify people and call them something other than people whom Jesus died for, because we don't believe and agree with how they live their lives, the choices that they've made. We can disagree all day long with the choices that they make, but Jesus still died for their sins, and there's still people that Jesus loves dearly, and we've got to love them the same way, all right? Not love what they're doing, but love them, okay? Fair enough? All right. So this is not a message about um, how awful people are, and we're just going to just throw all these people under the bus today. We are not doing that, uh, so, and don't, please don't you, don't you do that. Um, but what we do see in today's world is the masses that are falling lockstep with the last day deception. And we see nation's leaders that are also maneuvering to make their plans to come to fruition. But really what they're doing is they're simply pawns being used to fulfill end time prophecies. They're just people falling into that spirit of deception that is happening right before our eyes. And God said these things would happen in the last days. And they're right on cue. We see them unfolding quickly, and we see them unfolding accurately right before our very eyes. So in light of this, what must we do, and how must we live? That's what I want us to, first off, I want us to see what's going on, to, to, uh, to align everything with what's going on in the Word, and then also, what must we do about it, okay? So let's pray as we begin our time here today. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that's going to give us discernment and enlighten our hearts to realize what's going on in this world today. I pray against the spirit of deception. I pray against the spirit of distraction. I pray against the spirit of slumber. I pray, Father God, that you would help us to all be awake and alert and keenly aware of what you would have us to receive here this morning and apply to our lives. And I thank you, Lord Jesus. In, this, in your name we pray. And all God's people said amen. Let's look at this first horse of the apocalypse. This horse is white. Now, the Bible describes what the days will be like just before the return of Christ in 2 Timothy verses 3, verses 1 through 5. See if not, this is not sounding like a headline of what's going on in the world today. 2 Timothy verses 3, verses 1 through 5. It says, Jesus, uh, this, this is a warning to us from, from the Apostle Paul writing this to Timothy, but the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ is telling us today. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, check. Lovers of money, check. Boastful, yes. Proud, absolutely. Abusive, of course. Disobedient to their parents, I see it all day long. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. And before we read this scripture and say, all oh, those sinners out there are awful, folks, there's people in the church today that are dealing with this very stuff. Just as, just as awful as is going on outside of the four walls, we are dealing with it here. So let's not Throw the 
people under the bus out there and say, those sinners. Because we're all sinners saved by grace. And we're all struggling in different ways. By the grace of God, He keeps us in His care. Now, mankind will be in a fallen, sinful state as in the days of Noah, the Bible says, and also as in the days of Lot, just before Christ's return. We see that happening today, amen? There's going to be an absolute free fall of moral decay. It's happening before our eyes. And not just outside the church, as I said, there's also going to be a, a great falling away inside the church. First Timothy, again, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, Paul is warning Timothy, he says, the Spirit clearly says that in Later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits. Keep that in mind. Deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. So it's saying in the church, there's going to be some people that are going to have faith in Jesus and they're going to say, no, I'm actually going to go this way because that sounds right. We have to be careful. We have to be discerning. We have to be spiritually wise. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit to give us that discernment that we need because even as believers, there's going to be a falling away that says, that sounds right. And I'm going to go over there. So be careful. 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 through 4, says it this way. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. And I'm doing my best to preach sound doctrine to you this morning. And every time we get together. But instead, to suit their own desires, they're going to gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths or deceiving spirits. We can say the same thing. I believe we're in such a time as this right now in the church. We actually see entire Christian denominations embracing sinful and worldly things that their founding fathers would have never comprehended or imagined would have happened. The church as a whole, has become more lukewarm and is losing its saltiness and its light because of the embracing of the world's ways. Church, we're not supposed to be like the world. The world's supposed to try to be like the church, but it's gone the other way. The church isn't called to be like the world. We're called to be set apart. And there's nothing, we need to be careful not to adjust what God's word says to be more attractive to the world. Holiness is not attractive to the world. Righteousness is not attractive to the world. Following Jesus is not attractive to the world. Have you noticed lately? But folks, I'm here to tell you today that sin is sin. And holiness is holiness, period. There's no discussion, no debate. There's no variance to that. Sin is sin, Holiness is holiness, black is black, white is white, right is right, and wrong is wrong. But we're in the age of great deception where everything is being flipped on its head. The church and folks outside of the church are following deceiving spirits, and that's what this first hoarder, uh, I'm sorry, this first horse and its rider is all about. We look at Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. It describes this first horse. It's a white horse. It has a rider holding a bow and wearing a gifted crown. And this rider's job is to conquer. Listen to this. I watched as the lamb, that's Jesus, opened the first of the seven seals. And then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a loud and a voice like thunder, come. And I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow. He was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on 
conquest. Now, let's break this scripture down because I, I, I think that we have in our minds a certain idea of who this person is and what he's going to do. Now, I believe that this writer is the Antichrist. The reason I say that is because we see that later on, Jesus, later on in Revelation, Jesus comes also riding a white horse. And we think, well, that's Jesus. He's riding a white horse. No, this is a different guy, okay? If you assume this first writer is Jesus, then you would be wrong because Satan is the master of counterfeit. He's the master of deceit, okay? He fooled Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He's also been deceiving and counterfeiting God's perfect creation ever since. That's what he does. This writer is none other than the Antichrist. He merely appears righteous. He's got a crown. He's riding a white horse. He's pretty, he's pretty convincing. He's conquering. But he's really evil to the core. And the reason that we know that this is Jesus is because first, he, the lamb, opens the seals to release the riders. Number two, he's going to come. Jesus is going to come with many crowns, the Bible says. He's going to come with many crowns, and this rider only has one. And finally, Jesus comes to bring judgment when he comes to the earth, and this rider is coming to conquer. By the way, let me just say this. Jesus doesn't need to conquer because Jesus has already conquered the world. There's no need for him to conquer anything. He's already done it, all right? So this is the Antichrist riding this horse. Let's look at the bow. This is going to be a really eye-opening. It was for me. I had to really research this out and say, Lord, this, this feels right in my spirit. And, I, and, and I, as I studied it and got the different sort of um, definitions of what this bow is, I found it to be so interesting, especially in light of where we are in the world today. Now, this word bow in the Greek, in the original, is the word toxon, T-O-X-O-N, toxon. It sounds like toxic or poisonous, right? Toxon, Okay. It's the only time that this word appears in the entire Bible is in Revelation 6, verse 2. So we can casually, and I've always had pictured this. And in fact, I've even seen pictures, of, or, or sketches of it, where this horse, this rider, is holding a bow and an, and an arrow, right? And he's going to go out and just shoot arrows everywhere. And that's how he's going to conquer. But if you read it, there is no bow. Rather, rather there's no arrow described in here. There's just a bow which seems like a pretty silly sort of way to conquer if you're just holding a bow with no arrow. I mean, I, what, did you just bang him over the head with it? So, so there's got to be something different with that bow if I only had an arrow, you know? No, it's not that kind of bow, all right? Which leads us to get a clear definition of what this bow means, of what this toxon means. It's the only time it appears in the Bible. So I looked in Strong's Concordance, and I researched this out, and I thought, okay, this is, this is accurate. This is accurate. It's not me making this up. It's not me to try to craft this thing to kind of make it work, all right? This word bow in strong concordance means the simplest fabric. The simplest fabric. It's a fabric. It's a material, okay? Think about that for a second. And then another derivative for the word bow in the Bible which you probably would know, is it's a rainbow. When the word bow shows up, there's the fabric and there's the rainbow. Just let that sink in for just a second. So we can see by this descriptive that this particular word bow in this context is very likely to find that this bow that this writer is carrying is not a bow and arrow, but it's actually a flag a fabric displaying a rainbow. 
Exactly. Just let it sink in. Wrap your mind, wrap your heart, wrap your understanding around this a bit to make it more clear in all that we're seeing in the world today. The seemingly endless alphabet gay agenda has gone from a peripheral thing in our society, and in the world really, to a pervasive one in a very short period of time. Why? What's going on? It's gone from being a small segment of our society with very little influence to this wicked and controlling and angry, overwhelming stranglehold in our society. Haven't you seen it? It's front and center, and it's being forced down our throats in every possible way, from drag queens to gender identity to just homosexual and all kinds of different marriages that are going on. there. Redefinition of marriage. And by the way, if you don't agree with their agenda, and you maybe might be watching this or here today, and especially the younger crowd that is being indoctrinated with this, but it's some older folks too. You may be sitting here disagreeing with me right now, saying, well, pastor, I don't agree with that. I think that, you know, love is love and everybody should be able to get married. You've been deceived. You've been deceived. You've been deceived. That's not what God's word says. In fact, if you don't agree with your, this agenda... You're being labeled as transphobic, and you're actually shouted down. Because there's no argument. There's no, there's no reasonable discussion you can have with people like this. All right? They will simply just yell at you so loudly that they shut you down. We see it happen in, in school meetings. We see it happen in government meetings, local meetings, where they just shout you down. Right? You're outside doing whatever you're doing. You're trying to preach the gospel, and they'll just shout you down. People are now being arrested in Canada and other countries because this is now called a hate speech. What I'm saying today could be labeled as a hate speech in another country. In fact, it's coming here. I heard in Oklahoma, a guy who was just trying to do his thing, preaching, and, and he was preaching this very thing. And, and, and somebody got upset, and they started shutting him down. And he's, he's, they, were, they were trying to arrest him for that. Here in Oklahoma, in America... It's coming, folks, and I'm not sure how much longer I'll get to preach from here without having some repercussions, and today maybe even be a repercussion from it, but I don't care. You see, and this is, this is always what happens. When you give the devil an inch, he's going to take the whole thing, not just a mile. He's going to take it lock, stock, and barrel. If you give him even a little tiny foothold... He'll take it all. And that's what's happening today. It broke my heart back in 2015 when the White House was displayed with the rainbow lit, lit up when gay marriage was legalized here in the United States. You remember that? That broke my heart. When gay marriage became legal in our country, it seems like we've seen a marked increase in this satanic deception of sexual perversion in and across all spectrums of society, in the church and outside of the church, and all represented by this rainbow flag. Again, people are not our enemy. Homosexuals and those that are dealing with all those sort of strongholds in their life, and they're walking in that deception and that perversion, they are not our enemy. Satan is our enemy. He's merely infiltrated these people's souls and their minds and their emotions with this great deceit that they're acting out by rejecting Jesus, they're rejecting holiness, they're rejecting God's word, and they're embracing everything that has to do with the flesh, and they're going to fulfill the lust and the desires of their flesh. 
I'll speak to this more in detail in a few weeks because I'm starting a series next week that's going to be addressing different things about the family. And I'm going to go from Mother's Day to Father's Day with this. And I would appreciate your prayers. But suffice to say that it feels like a tsunami of sexual deviancy, deviancy has flooded our country as of late. Do you feel that way? And the efforts to hold back seems as fruitless as me holding up my hands to stop a tidal wave headed my way. It's coming. It's here. What do we do with it? We can imagine very easily how the rider of this white horse, the Antichrist, will conquer not with weaponry, but with deception. He's going to convince people that sin is not real, there's no consequence to it, and that we have no need for God. Do we see that happening today? Yes. We see this happening in this current rainbow movement that people just say, love who you want because love is love. And the rest of what comes with that package, by the way, that opposes, that is opposite to God's word and is opposite to his righteous decrees, it's just, it's just a tsunami of perversion and deception. Satan has always been the master of deceit, folks, always. And he will operate in the same deception through the Antichrist. You can mark my words. The New Testament says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Write this down. Don't be deceived. If you're taking notes, write down, don't be deceived. The New Testament says, don't be deceived 39 times. That's a lot. Jesus continually warned us. Matthew chapter 24, verses 3 through 4 says, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately and says, tell us. They said, when will these things happen? Jesus had just talked about all the la- in the last days, when you see these signs, all these things are going to happen. And lift up your eyes. He, would just, he had just talked about that. And so they came to him privately and said, when will these things happen? And what's going to be the sign of your coming to the end of the age? What's going to be the sign? When will these things happen? What's going to be the sign? The first thing that he said... The very first thing out of his mouth was, watch out that no one deceives you. That's going to be the primary weapon being used in the last days to draw people away from the truth and righteousness and holiness in Christ. Don't be deceived. He could have said anything, but he said, don't be deceived. What's going to be the sign of your coming? And what's going to be the sign at the end of the age? Don't be deceived. A great, in other words, he's saying a great deception will come upon the land. So watch out. You see, the Antichrist is going to turn truth on its head. The spirit of Antichrist is already doing that. And that spirit is so strong in the world today. Isaiah 5.20 says it this way. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Woe to those who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I can just say, you can say the word woe like, well, okay, so what? What's woe mean? Woe means you better watch out because doom is headed your way. It's a small word that means an awful lot. Woe means you better be careful because there's great harm and great punishment coming your way when you call good evil and evil good. When you put darkness for light and light for darkness. When you put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. In other words, when you take what the Bible says and turn it on its head and say, now that's the truth. Woe to you. Satan's desire is to counter what God has created as good. I want to read to you Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. And we see this progression of man as they're eventually completely consumed by a reprobate mind. They're completely, they've lost it because they're in so much deception. Starting in verse 18. This is a long passage, but listen to this and follow it along on the screen or in your your Bibles. The wrath of God. The wrath of God, by the way, he's not angry. 
He's not trying to punish us. The wrath is simply what we've done, our sin, mixed with His holiness. You combine that together, and that's wrath, okay? So don't blame Him. We're, we're to blame. We're the ones doing this stuff. And His holiness requires punishment. His wrath is simply our sin and His holiness being mixed together. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Uh, by the way, does misinformation sound familiar in that, in that context? Misinformation. We're here to give you misinformation. That's some misinformation. Misinformation is such a tricky word because really what they're saying is it's information, but it's not fitting with the agenda of what we're trying to say. It's not fitting in the narrative. It's not misinformation. It's just not the information they want you to hear. Okay, enough of that. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, they've been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, deception, and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. By the way, if anyone says there's homosexuality is condemned in the Bible and it's not a sin, and where is it found? Right there is one of them, okay? Feel free to show it to them. Romans chapter 1, verse, wherever that is, verse 25 or somewhere in there. It's right there. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. So you see this progression of sin and this progression of depravity. So God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. And that just opens up all kinds of things. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They even invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do them, but they also approve those who practice them. I mean, that's happening right now before our eyes. And Jesus tells us based on that, that his return could be any moment. Let's talk about this crown for a minute, this on this writer's head. The crown this writer is wearing is not one that he earned. It's not one that he deserved. It says that it was given to him. It was a gift to him by none other than Satan himself, who's merely using the Antichrist as a pawn for Satan's own selfish gains. When Satan gets finished with the Antichrist, his plan is to just kick him to the side so he could be in control. Know that. Satan is not your friend. He's using you. Don't let him use you. 
This crown represents some sort of authority or leadership or setting apart. That's all that that means. And it's just like as any earthly crown would do. Didn't anybody see the coronation of the king yesterday? Yeah. Well, I got a little glimpse of it. It was kind of interesting, this big old crown and, you know, what an event that was, some of that stuff. But Hey, man, Jesus is king. I was just thinking he's putting that crown on his head. It's like one day he's going to put that crown at the feet of Jesus and confess him as Lord and Savior, whether he wants to or not. But yeah, it's just a big old, it looked like one of them, <laughs> uh, what's that butter, the imperial? <laughs> it looked like the imperial. I, I thought, I was, just, I was waiting for him to break out the butter and start, you know, buttering some bread with it. But that's what it looked like. It just was funny. This is big old, it looked like a chiffy pop popcorn hat, you know. But that's what this crown is all about. Listen to this. Daniel chapter 8. Was there popcorn in that hat? I'm sorry. I got to go back to that. You ever open up the Jiffy Pop popcorn? Opens it? Anyway, all right. I'm just picturing popcorn coming out of his head. I just got to share that because if I don't, I'll be laughing the rest of the message. When you're wondering why I'm laughing. <laughs> Jiffy Pop popcorn hat. All right. Daniel chapter 8, verses 24 through 25, describes this... The, the power that this Antichrist has. It says he's going to become very strong, but not by his own power. So in other words, it's a borrowed power, okay? It's not power of his own. He's going to cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. This is the Antichrist. He will destroy those who are mighty. He'll destroy the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper. There's that word again, deceit. And he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he's going to destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. That's Jesus. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. We know that Jesus is going to destroy him by the breath of his voice. This first horseman will wield deceit to trick and divide mankind like no other in history, which leads us to the second horseman. They come in order. The second horseman is going to be riding a horse of red. Now, keep in mind that, it, that, that these horsemen are not just going to do their thing and then set off to the side and say, okay, you're next. They're actually going to be incremental, adding a pawn. So the spirit of Antichrist is going to continue doing his deceit, and he, along comes the, the second rider. Revelation chapter 6, verses 3 through 4 describes him. It says, when the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come. And then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth. And to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. So we see that his job is to remove peace from the earth. And this will result in people killing one another. And we think, wow, that's going to be awful in the tribulation when the uh, people start killing one another. Yeah, like that's not happened up to this point. Like, like in Georgia and Texas this past, just yesterday... And Atlanta, just a few days ago, where just people just shooting up people just because. It happens all over the place. Now, while the world has experienced wars of all kinds in the past, this time it's going to be like no other. Because there's never been a time when there's been an antichrist uh, that has come to create unprecedented confusion and deception and division. This will fuel war like no other time in human history. And Jesus actually described these times this way in the first part of Matthew chapter 24, verse 7. He says, nation will rise against nation and kingdom will rise against kingdom. Now, that word nation, when he uses it, again, in the original, that word is ethnos. And ethnos means races of people. 
It's not nations, it's actually races of people. Do we see this happening today big time? Where races are being divided against one another. Can't you see how races are being pitted against one another in our society today? Listen to me, church. We are not each other's enemies. Uh, Blacks are not against whites and whites against blacks or any other color. We are all part of the human race, God's creation, and we're to love one another. It has nothing to do with the color of the skin today. I'm so tired of the racial dis- uh, divisions that are going on that are being fomented by these different groups of people in our nation and in our world. Church, if you have any prejudice in you, that is not of God. You need to repent and love human beings who are created in the image of God. Some of us have white skin, some of us have black skin, and there's other skin that has everywhere in between, but it's a beautiful, talk about a rainbow, it's a beautiful rainbow of God's creation, okay? I know God's heart breaks when we hate people because they have a different color of skin, but it's not of God. Satan's job is to divide and conquer. It's military strategy 101. He's our common enemy. He's the enemy of our souls. He hates our guts. And he's going to use every tactic possible to divide us. But we see the spirit of Antichrist fueling this division even in our present day. Confusion, division, and it's going to continue until it foments into full war during this awful time. We see flare-ups of it in our world today. And it's happening on a micro and a macro level. The big and the small. This writer's going to be given a great sword and this sword's going to be large and it's going to be effective in its use of worldwide warfare. But again, not just nation to nation, but people to people. Individuals to individuals. In our world today, there's an anger rising up like I've never seen before. We hear of mass shootings and it seems like almost daily it's happening. People are randomly attacking and, and killing people for no apparent reason other than they just are acting out. We, why are people doing this is what we want to ask. Oh, this seems so senseless. And if we would just, we just need to uh, make guns illegal. Yeah, because that's it. No, that's, it's not, it's the person, okay? But it's not just the person, it's what's going on inside of them, okay? Let's get down, let's drill this down to the very foundation. What's going on? It's the spirit of Antichrist. It's the spirit of the second horseman of war and division who hates. And it's just, it's, and, and they don't know what, what else to do. Oh, I hate people, so I'm just going to kill them. I'm just going to shoot them. And we think I, that doesn't make sense to us. But see, they are so consumed. You have to understand what's going on behind this is a spirit, all right? It's a spirit. And so that's why we, we can pray against these things. But we also have to understand that this is what's going on in, in, our, in our generation today because we're leading up to the return of Christ. So, so we, see this, we see these people acting out, okay? Because they're, they're, they're in, in their hearts, they're just angry. In their hearts, they're frustrated. In their hearts, they hate because they're not regenerated. They're not serving Jesus, and even we're struggling with that at times. As people who are born-again believers, we struggle, we hate, we're angry, we're frustrated. Am I right, church? Yeah. So certainly those without Christ are just going to say, well, I'm just going to pull out a gun or, you know, light a bomb and throw a hand grenade in, whatever. It doesn't matter. 
And we wonder, why do they just kill themselves? Why do they kill a bunch of people and then they kill themselves? Because that's what, that's what Satan does. He steals and kills and destroys. He's wreaking havoc. And we see this second horse rattling the cages, the second horse of war. It's rattling its cages in anticipation of its release. And the, the reverberations are happening in the world today. And what we see today is a foretaste. It's a coming attraction of what will be the norm as this second horse and its rider are released to wreak havoc. Its impact is going to be worldwide, the Bible says, as fury and rage reach its peak, wars and killings will be nation to nation, neighbor to neighbor, family to family, person to person, race to race, religion to religion, political ideology to political ideology, you name it, it's going to be there. Matthew 10, 21 says, brother is going to betray brother to death and a father, his child, and children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. No law of loss there in those families because the spirit of war will be in control. That rage and that anger. What we see now and what we read in the headlines is nothing compared to what it's going to be like when this horseman of war is released. In human history, in times of war in the past, there's always been cries for peace in the midst of it. But not during this future time. Wars are going to be fought because of this unprecedented, unimpeded hatred uh, human to human race to race, person to person. There's going to be human carnage on every level because the Prince of Peace, the Spirit of Christ, the church, all those things are going to be removed from the earth. And so it's going to just give open and free reign for the enemy to do whatever he wants. It'll be every man for himself. It'll be survival of the fittest and may the best man win, which leads us to the third horse. The third horse is a black horse. While the first and the second horsemen are wreaking their havoc, this third horseman is released and this horse and its rider will cause a worldwide famine unlike any the world has ever seen. Revelation 6 verses 5 and 6 says, When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and look, and there before me was a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and don't damage the oil and the wine. It's an interesting little phrasing there. Let's unpack this a little bit. So this, raider's, this rider, rather, is going to be holding some scales or balances in his hand, and that represents a marketplace, okay? That represents pricing and cost of things, as you would understand what scales do. And during this time in the tribulation, the marketplace is going to be so utterly broken as this rider scours the earth, making food scarce to not existent. There's going to be this great lamenting and mourning as great hunger overtakes humanity. How many ever been hungry? You know what that feels like? How many ever been hungry to the point where you haven't eaten for days? And you're trying to figure out where to come up with just a little scrap of food. Very few of us. That's what's going to be like as the norm during this time. A day's wages, it says, is going to buy a whole meal. I'm not sure how big of a meal it's going to be. I, I think we kind of picture this steak and baked potatoes and a salad and the whole bit. No, it's probably just going to be a crust of bread. It's just going to be a little bit of barley, just a little bit of nothing. It's just enough to sustain us, all right? Food's going to be scarce. And what food is available is only going to be affordable to people with means. The oil and the wine are luxury items. So apparently what this means is there are going to be a few rich folks with means to buy food and they're not going to be as severely impacted by this, at least not at first. But later on in Revelation, we see these same people, they're going to be hiding in caves and praying for the rocks to fall on them. So they're not going to last very long. 
They're going to have this great fear of all that's taking place around them. Just let the rocks fall on me. Don't we see the forerunner of this famine already in our world today? Yeah. I don't know about this, and I'm not trying to create any sort of, uh, uh, I don't know, fear in people, but, but there's food, I know there's food processing plants and livestock and poultry facilities that are being destroyed by fires and explosions and just strange things that are going on. And they're unprecedented numbers in the last several years. If you're paying any attention to it, I know we have tens of thousands of food processing plants, but they're being destroyed by the dozens and dozens and dozens. And I just have to just wonder what's going on with that. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist in that way, but I just have to wonder if that's part of kind of softening you know, the ground, so to speak, so that it makes it a little more easy for when this thing actually rolls out. I do know this, that the world's breadbasket, there's a couple of main areas of the world's breadbasket that are being impacted. One of them by war, Ukraine. Did you know that that's one of the world's major breadbaskets? Supplies bread to all parts of the world, Ukraine. War, they can't even, their, their infrastructure is destroyed. Also, there's some weather going on in California, either drought or flooding. I mean, make up your mind, right? Both of those are the main two breadbasket areas of the world, and they're both being impacted either by war or weather. And it's limiting and, and causing their ability to supply the world with stable grains and such. It's happening now. There's a report out this week that the world's rice supplies will be greatly reduced this year. They say it's the worst in 20 years or more. And by the way, rice, it's ca catastrophic weather that's taking place, but rice uh, this is going to impact 3.5 billion people. That's half of the world's population. And most of these people that are depending on this rice are in the most vulnerable nations where rice is a staple, but boy, they, are, they don't have a whole lot of safety nets going on, right? So if they don't have rice, then what are we going to eat? And if rice is too expensive, then we can't afford it. And that's what's going on right now in the world today. Rice is a staple. The last part of Matthew 24, 7 Jesus said there's going to be famines and earthquakes in various places. He's saying these things are going to take place before my return. You're going to see these, these birth pains, as he described it. Uh, right before the birth takes place, you're going to see these signs. Destructive weather events are disrupting food supplies all around the world. It's not just in these few areas. It's worldwide. There's no place that's exempt today from this sort of attack. And unfortunately, breaks my heart, but countless people die from famine every single day in our world. Food prices are high today. Would you agree with me? But you ain't seen nothing yet. Because during this time, famine is going to be on steroids and what food there is will be of unaffordable to the desperate masses. Again, what's happening today is a foretaste of things to come. I just see this horse just rattling at the gates, ready to be released. Famine is going to be worldwide, and it's going to impact every single person on the face of this earth, which leads us to the fourth horse. This fourth horse is pale yellow-green color. The rider of this horse is called death, and just either riding with him or close to him is going to be hell following close behind. Revelation 6, verses 7 through 8 says, When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades followed close behind him. And they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, which is disease, and by the wild beast of the earth. That's interesting. What's going on here? Well, let's unpack this for just a few moments. This pale greenish-yellow color is, is similar 
to the color of plants as they're decaying and dying. You've ever seen a plant just starting to die out and starts turning this ugly, nasty color? That's what color this horse is. As this first of three riders continues to wreak their havoc of worldwide deception and division and war and famine, this fourth rider comes along with his companion, Hell, Hades, <clears throat> and he comes to finish those people off affected by the first three riders' work. This rider has a sword in, it, sword in his hand to finish off those impacted not only by malnutrition, but also by disease. Think about this. I would imagine the medical industry, the infrastructure of it, along with all the other services that we're used to and conveniently able to call at a moment's notice and get whatever medicines or service that we want and we're used to, those infrastructures are going to be completely decimated during the tribulation. There's not going to be any medicines. There's not going to be any treatments. There's not going to be any surgeries. Call 911 and you're going to get a busy signal. It's going to be disconnected. There's not going to be any help whatsoever. The infrastructure's completely decimated. During the tribulation, if you're weak or frail or compromised in any way, physically, during this time, you might as well say goodbye. No one's going to be around to help. It's every man for himself. And you'd as soon be killed for any possessions you may have than to be assisted with help. Think about it. No clean water, no sewage systems, no sanitary anything. Any and all infrastructure will be decimated. And keep in mind that all the while the deceiving spirit will be in full force, war is going to be rampant, and famine will be pervasive. I just, I just picture this fourth horse man is really just coming in to do a cleanup. If you've ever been familiar with baseball strategy, it's like this pitching ace is coming into the ninth inning to protect the lead, and he's going to retire the side, three strikes, and you're out. And why these wild beasts, by the way? Well, they're hungry too. Just because they're in the tribulation, doesn't mean they stop eating. And what they're used to eating now is the Lord's providing for them. But during the tribulation, it's going to be not only every man for himself, but every animal for himself. And desperate times call for desperate measures. I'll let you use your imagination as to the gruesome scenes that will take place as wild, hungry, desperate animals that are used to a particular diet will expand their palate to include, well, other options. This rider, when it's all said and done, will slay about one-fourth of the world's population. In other words, about two billion people. Two billion gone. And so we're only four seals in, and we've already seen this massive death and destruction. And all of this is the judgment of God on a rebellious and sinful world. You see, those who've rejected Christ and have embraced sin will experience God's wrath during this awful time. But let me pivot here as we start wrapping this up, because this is a very sobering and scary and it could be depressing if we're not careful sort of message you think man how am i supposed to, what am i supposed to do with this here's what we're not supposed to do we're not supposed to live in fear we're not to live in despair and we're not to live in dread why because our hope is found in jesus christ i'll say it again our hope is found in jesus christ jesus said in luke 21 28 when these things begin to take place, they're taking place, aren't they? They're beginning to take place. We see them happening right before our eyes. This is Jesus telling us these words today. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing nigh. When you see these things happen, don't be in despair because our blessed hope is found in Jesus Christ. Do you believe these things are beginning to take place? So Jesus says, when you see them begin, ready or not, here I come. Oh, I love hide and seek. When I was a kid, 
Ready or not, here I come. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. One, two, three, here I come. He's coming back to take us home. And it's going to be soon, church. So don't droop your shoulders in despair. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. But lift up your heads in anticipation because your redemption is drawing near, church. Your redemption is drawing near. So in light of all of this, what must we do while we wait? There's three things, very quickly, that, that, that we're called to do. First, we actively need to watch. Actively watch, not passively, but actively. Actively watch. Luke 31, I'm sorry, Luke 21, verse 36 says this. Be always on the watch. Say the word always with me. Not sometimes, not a few times, not a little bit. Always means 100% of the time. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you be able to stand before the Son of Man. Always be on the watch, church. Actively watch as you're working, going to school, doing your responsibilities around the house and in your life. Always have in mind, I'm going to make every decision and with eternity in mind, Jesus could come back today while I'm doing and saying this thing. I better make sure I'm actively watching. You hear me today? Number two, we're to regularly warn. Regularly warn. First Thessalonians 5 verses 1 through 3 says, Now brothers and sisters, this is talking to the church about times and dates, we don't need to write you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. If you knew that your neighbor was going to have their house robbed tonight, would you let it happen or would you warn them? So that they could take the necessary precautions to make sure that their house was not successfully robbed. You'd warn them, wouldn't you? Of course, if I knew your house was going to be robbed today, man, you'd be getting a call from me saying, you better, I mean, it's happening. I'm here to warn you today. Jesus is coming back. He's coming like a thief in the night. Don't let it catch you by surprise. Jesus says it's not going to catch you by surprise if you're aware of what's going on. This is going to be a surprise to everybody else, but not to the church. Not if we're watching, but it's not just us being ready, but let's tell others. I mean, my house is going to be robbed tonight. Good for me. But if I know yours house is going to be robbed, but I don't tell you, bad for me. So I'm going to warn you. And we need to warn others. Amen? We need to warn all the time. It's a regular thing that we do. Not just on a Sunday morning. Jesus is coming back. You better be ready. But you take that message and you tell others. We're to warn regularly. And thirdly, we're to wisely win. Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is what? Is what? Is what? He who wins souls is what? How many wants to be wise this morning? We're called to win souls, and he who wins souls is wise. I want to stand before the Lord one day and him to say, Well done, good and faithful servant, and you are a wise man because you won some souls for me. We're to wisely win. That means we need to be discerning. We need to be careful. We need to know how to get in and speak to these people's lives, not just to blast them with, you're going to hell because you're a sinner, so you better get right. I mean, that's, that's the truth. But, you know, we got to be wise. Gentle as serpents are gentle as lambs and wise as serpents, right? So there's a, there's a way that the Holy Spirit can help us with that. Listen to this this morning, church. Everybody here today, the way I see it, we have actually three choices in this. 
You say, Pastor, three choices? I thought there was only two. Well, hear me out. We have three choices. First, we can die today, die right now to ourselves and live for Jesus. And then let Jesus take us home in the rapture to heaven one day. That's our first choice, to die to ourselves. All three of these, by the way, are dying, okay? Here's your first choice in dying. Die to ourselves today and let Jesus live through us. That's the first one. The second one, we can die later as a martyr in the tribulation. As we realize how stupid we were to not accept Jesus before the rapture and make that decision for him, unfortunately, then while you're going through these things that I just described. That's your second choice. Here's your third choice. You're going to die then too, by the way, but not necessarily in a very pleasant way. Third, we can die now or later without Christ and spend an eternity in hell with the devil and his demons and all the rest of the miserable, evil, foolish, wicked people who've rejected Christ. That's not going to be a party, by the way. Hey, I'll hang out with my friends. No. They're going to be just as miserable and crying out for mercy as you will. There's no party in hell. It's an eternal place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, of regret and pain because of the rejection that they made on the earth while they had an opportunity like this morning to receive Christ. The fact is, is that we all die. We all die. But how we die is the question, amen? Die now to yourself and live for Jesus and live forever in heaven one day. Live for yourself now and die forever in hell one day. Simple. I'm not sure I want to trade that 70 or 80 years on this earth and party it up here for an eternity, an eternity in heaven. But foolish people do it every single day. Satan wants you to think that's a pretty good deal, by the way, but it's a sucker's bet. There's no life like the life that you can have in Jesus, church. There's no life like the life you can have in him. And I'll say this, don't knock him until you've tried him. Church, these four horses and their riders are restless at the gate and the trumpets are getting ready to sound to take us home. The fury of their torment and destruction is soon to be released upon all those left behind. So let's actively watch. Let's regularly warn and let's wisely win those that need to know about this good news. Would you stand with me this morning as we close out? Bow your heads in prayer if you will. Jesus, Today, we're reminded of what's going on in the world today as it relates to what your word says is going to happen. And this is a stark and sobering and cold water splashed upon our reality message that we need to hear. But we also need to hear it because we're not, um, we're not going to be in despair about this. We're not going to be anxious about it. But it helps us to know that when we see these things happen, we're going to lift up our eyes <laughs> in hope and anticipation and joy because your return is soon. So you're going to take care of that. And what's going on in the world today is happening because your word says so. What must we do, Jesus? May we actively watch and live our lives in such a way, make our choices in such a way as we keep eternity in mind because your return could be any moment. Father, help us to regularly warn others. Your house is getting ready to get robbed. There's a thief that's getting ready to come. This is going to happen and you're not going to have a chance to, res to respond or react to it. It's going to, it's going to be done before it even begins almost in the twinkling of an eye.
Father, may we regularly warn those around us. Jesus is coming. 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 Help us to wisely win because he whom winneth souls is wise. Help us, Jesus, to tell others about you. Father, if there's anybody in this place today that needs you and has pricked their hearts, this message has concerned them, has pricked their hearts, they realize that, man, if you were to come back right now, they would not be caught up. They would not go to heaven. They wouldn't make it in the rapture. They're living for the world. They're walking in deception, just like we talked about, that spirit of antichrist, that spirit of deception. There's some people maybe in here that have embraced that in different ways. Father, I pray that you'd open up our eyes to see the truth and that we would run to you and cling to you and not let go. All of us inside this church, outside the four walls, may I pray against the spirit of deception in Jesus' name. Father, let the scales from, uh, fall from our eyes. Let our ears be attuned to your still small voice and let us follow the leading of your spirit and, the, and, and that we would march to the beat of what your holy word says every day of our lives. All of us, Jesus, we repent of our sins. Your word says that if we confess our sins and believe in our heart that you, Jesus Christ, are the son of God, you rose, you rose from the dead, that you died for our sins, we're going to be saved. Now, Father, there's people in here that maybe have never made that decision. There's others that are walking in deceit and compromise, and they're, they're, just, they're, they're embracing the things of the flesh. They're putting on a good show here this morning, but, man, when they get home and they're at work, they're doing just the opposite. Father, help us to not be hypocrites in this place. Help us to be genuine believers in you and to give up those things that are compromising and sinful and are not pleasing to you that are destroying us and destroying our witness for you I want everybody in this place to pray this prayer whether you know Jesus or not and you just make this confession I think a lot of people in this place all of us need to recommit our hearts to Jesus Christ this morning some of us have I believe embraced deceit and we're 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 marching along with the beat of the drum of the world and we're thinking it's good. But folks, it's going to lead you off of a cliff. Stop embracing the deceit and the lies and the division that the Antichrist, that spirit of Antichrist is bringing to the world today. Wake up. Wake up and turn back to Jesus before it's too late. Would you pray this prayer with me? Say, Jesus... I need you. I need you, Spirit of truth. I need you, Spirit of truth, to reveal to me the lies and the deceit that Satan is trying to persuade me with. Forgive me, Jesus, for the sins in my life, for believing the lies of the enemy, for experimenting and exploring and even considering the things of this world, I reject them wholesale, completely, and I embrace you today. I hold on tightly to you today. Would you forgive me of my sins? Come live in my heart and be the Lord of my life. From this day forward, I will serve only you, and I trust you, Jesus. 
that one day you're coming back. So I will watch, I will warn, and I will win those around me to you. I thank you, Jesus, that I'm now saved. I'm born again. I'm a new creation. And I'm walking in truth. In Jesus' name I pray. Now, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit, one of the the gifts of the Spirit is a spirit of discernment. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that right now, as you are in our lives, that you would fill us right now, fresh and new, by the way, where we've not given you place, Holy Spirit, we've kind of pushed you off to the side and said, I got this from here. Lord, no, we're going to sit in the passenger seat and give you the steering wheel and just trust you to, to steer us and to guide us. And so, Spirit of discernment, I pray right now, Holy Spirit of discernment, would you rise up in us so that we can be discerning to the subtle deceit of the enemy. Lord, we know that the enemy is not going to come full frontal and say, Hi, I'm here to deceive you and destroy you. He will not do that. He comes in sideways. He cloaks himself with a little bit of truth. He, 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 he's subtle. So, Holy Spirit, your discernment can help us to know when the enemy's coming in and trying to trip us up and to lead us astray. I pray, Holy Spirit, to let the spirit of discernment rise up in us in a very powerful way going forward because, Jesus, you said, don't be deceived. That's one of the main things that's going to take place, Jesus, in these last days. You said it, is deception. So may we not be deceived. Spirit of the living God, Spirit of discernment, rise up in us, and may we walk in it, and may we act in it according to your plan and your purposes and your commands and your word going forward. I thank you for these things, and all God's people said amen. Yeah. Every day, church, ask for the spirit of discernment in your life, okay? I think that's a very important and needed gift of the spirit in this last day believer's generation. The spirit of discernment. Do you hear me this morning? You may not know exactly what all that means. All that simply means is he's going to tell you the truth. He's going to, he's going to tell you when there's a lie coming your way. And when you, when you hear something, the Holy Spirit's going to say, yeah, that's not true. That's what discernment is. And then he'll tell you, this is the truth. And he'll point you back to God's word. Always point you back to God's word. He'll always point you back to God's word. And if you're not sure, I'll help you. I mean, we'll help each other, right? But talk to me. Uh, The spirit of discernment, so important in these last days. Amen? Amen.